This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, actually Super Tuesday south of the border here on Fight Back. That means it's time for our crack strategy panel. There's a lot on the agenda. The leaderless Ontario Liberals will elect their leader this weekend. However, it's a foregone conclusion that former Transport Minister Stephen Del Duca will win. Is that a good thing or a bad thing in terms of looking for support from the general population. Meantime, there is a new poll on the Premier's favorability ratings. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney and B.C. Premier John Horgan suffered the biggest drops. Not surprising, since they are at the very centre of the storm over pipelines and blockades. There is word of a deal between the federal government and the Wet'suwet'en, which would apparently recognise their nation's land rights over a vast swath of territory, in northwestern BC without asking for an end to the blockades or anything else in return. And back to that poll, Doug Ford slipped as well at a time when many believed he was recovering some ground. Yesterday, he had a hissy fit in a news conference when he was asked about Plategate instead of the subject at hand. You've got to be kidding. We sent a press release Friday just for these folks that can't believe what I deal with with this media here in Toronto. We've given them a press release on Friday. We gave you the details. It's being corrected. We're going to have good license plates. But we're here to talk about an historic uh, investment that this province and this country hasn't seen. Okay, so let's start there. I'd like to welcome... John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, as well as Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Hi there. Good afternoon. <laughs> okay, John, we'll start start with you. Like, what was that outburst? The, the thing that really got me about it was that, uh, you know, I, we all monitor all the news stations, and there were a couple of them that were promoting this news conference for days as the first time he would respond to Plategate and and. You know, it sounds like he was completely unprepared. Well, look, I actually, I actually side with the premier on this. Surprise, surprise! But I really do, and I, and I say this because um, uh, enough with the license plates. Like, okay, we, we, we know that they didn't work. 3M is dealing with it. They're coming back with some level of concoction that's going to make it better or stronger or more visible at night. Um, there's been multiple press releases on this issue. The minister and others within the, within the legislature have discussed the license plate issue. It is a license plate that, that, that has been, that w- went wrong. There was an acknowledgement that it went wrong. They're dealing with it in a way that they can deal with it. But look, look, the press release that was, that was sent out for, for the 
this press conference was basically on a historic deal with Ring of Fire, a, a, an issue, by the way, that the Liberal government over many, many years was not able to deal with. And, do, and so they've actually had a deal with the, with the Indigenous community to actually work on, on Ring of Fire, which is going to be huge for Northern Ontario and for the Northern communities. So, you know, I think the, the Premier was right to say, look, you know, there is actually a historic deal with Indigenous leaders at his side to talk about a deal that was cut that wasn't been able to be cut. Let's talk about that for a I while. Know, I, I, you know what? I get that. It's, it's the fact that he lost it over yeah. this and I, something he should have been prepared for. And, and I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but we were all silently giggling when we heard that. Right. Because there is that moment being an elected official where the things that you want to say and the things that you should say and the things you can say are not always the same. Yeah. <laughs> and this was one of those moments. It really should have been an inside voice. And, uh, you know, because unfortunately what happens is even if he was um, legitimate and feeling frustrated and all of that, unfortunately, the outburst took away from the topic at hand, which was yes. the Ring of Fire. Like, nobody's talking about the Ring of Fire. Everyone's talking about the outburst. And so that's just the consequence of, of not filtering, when sometimes it's very hard to filter, but necessary. I mean, does, does that say something about his, uh, you know, uh, control, leadership, Charles? Or is it just, you know, whatever, everybody has little... Hissies. Well, I just want to say off the top, when license plates go bad tonight on Zoomer Radio. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a dumb, dumb decision made early in the life of the, of the government to change Ontario's license plates to conservative blue. It was silly. It was partisan. It's no wonder it continues to be catnip for the media, just given what a debacle this thing has been, notwithstanding the involvement of 3M. But what's really telling about it is that, you know, since the dumping of Dean French as his chief of staff, the Premier has quite conscientiously tried to project a, sort of a kindler, gentler image and someone who's more experienced and familiar with the robes of office. Um, and this got away from him. I think he was particularly frustrated because not only was it ring, and fly, ring of fire and all the economic development uh, that that could entail over the coming decades, but it was also meaningful progress with Indigenous groups, which mm -hmm. is really important given just recent events. And I think he just lost it. And I think this is something that his advisors will have to take him aside and say, you know, the thing to have done in this situation was to have dealt with the question of the license plates very succinctly and then moved right into the area you want to be talking about, which is Indigenous groups partnering with the government on uh, development of the Ring of Fire. Okay, so this poll, I, I'm pretty sure, was done before that little outburst and it shows Doug Ford I mean down four percent since December when everybody thought that he was coming up he was shaking it off well I think you know and we've seen other polls where he's actually gone up a bit and and has, has increased in fact I think that our show last week we talked about the fact that he's increased a bit in some of the polls so it depends on some of the questions and the timing of it I've always said that polls are a snapshot in time and uh, and, and I think quite frankly after this outburst that he had I think he's actually going to go up in, in, in poll numbers I think people are going side with him and say, yeah, what the heck are we still talking about license plates for? We should be talking about policy issues like Ring of Fire and other things. But uh, I do I do believe that the that there is a, a conscious um, 
effort from the government since the, since Dean French has left and since the cabinet shuffle, since the summer, since the federal election, uh, which has only been a, last October, only a few months away, but that, that he has done a lot and has changed things. And I do believe it's starting to, to seep into the psyche of Ontarians. Um, and, and it's like anything else. It's like turning a cruise ship. It's going to take some time before people actually start reflecting on some of those things. And I think some of the changes that the government's done on some policy issues and others uh, and the focus that he has on trying to resolve the, the, the school strikes and, and that kind of stuff, I think you'll see an uptick in in, um, uh, in this. And I also believe, too, once the Liberals pick Stephen Del Duca as their leader, which seems to be inevitable uh, this coming weekend, uh, and Ontarians start realizing who Stephen Del Duca is, I think our polling numbers are going to go up. Uh, okay, that's that was going to be the next topic. Uh, uh, I, I would... Uh I'd say that's not a very uh, favorable reference. Not charitable at all. Uh, Not charitable. I said that very kindly, Charles. I've known Stephen Del Duca for a long time. I've known him to be experienced, level-headed, incredibly hardworking, and perhaps most importantly, a centrist, right? He is not madly left of center. He is not pursuing a a social agenda that um, could see the economy play second fiddle. He is very serious about job creation. He's very serious about technological growth in the province, exploring the economies of the future. Uh, he's enormously thoughtful. A lot of the prospect, a lot of the promises he's brought forward over the course of this leadership campaign have been very insightful and could promise big change. And personally, I think he'll be a perfect foil for Doug Ford because Stephen has discipline. He has the political experience that allows him to stay on the path he needs to stay on to appeal to Ontarians. I'm just not sure that's true of the Premier and his recent comments around Plategate are an example of that. Um, But he's not exactly Mr. Excitement. No. No, no, he's not. No, I, and, and, I grant you. Yeah, and, and I think, in, in fairness to John, you know, the Liberals. If you ask people, you know, in polling, I think the Liberals were like leading. Yeah, they, <laughs> the, the leaderless poll, Liberals the leaderless were leading. Liberals were leading, and it, and it, it's because it's just as as John said, it's the alternative to the Conservatives. There's not anyone identified with leading the Liberals. I mean, again, that's kind of bad for Andrea Horvath, but we'll put that to the side for the moment. <laughs> but once they have someone speaking on behalf of the Liberals, I think that dynamic will shift. And I think it's fair to say that um, people will take the question a little more seriously in terms of how do you how do you uh, evaluate the effectiveness of the Liberals now that they do have a leader. Um, and, and I think that um, it is incumbent upon the Ford government to resolve the labor dispute with the teachers. And if his numbers are lower than they one would think them to be, I think it's because this issue continues to hang around and it's been ongoing now for the better part of, what, six months? And there seems to be no end in sight. And so that will need to conclude if, I believe, if the Premier wants his numbers to go up substantially. And just on, on, on the, Stephen Del Duca again, I think given the fact that that it's, it's going to happen this weekend. Um, I've said this before in the show, and I think that the Liberals are going to lose a huge amount of opportunity in the media, given the fact that I think what's going to happen, and Charles will know best because he's a delegate and will end up going there, but this will be over shortly. It'll be on the first ballot. Stephen Aluka has, has got so much control of the delegates and, and the delegate count that he'll likely win, and there won't be much fanfare uh, coming out of it, um, uh, quite frankly. And the Liberals, I think, needed to have a really good leadership convention where there's some excitement and coming out of it. So I think they're going to lose that. And I think the other thing with Stephen Del Duca 
Suzuka is um, he'll suffer what George Smitherman suffered, which is he will get he will get a lot of the negativity that was a result of the 15 years of liberal government. I was he yeah, will, going he will, to say, how does he? He's going to wear that, and and I think that'll be easy fodder for the conservatives to be able to push on him. And not least of which, I think the last thing my local MPP back in the day was Laurel Broughton, who got into trouble because she wanted to build this garage, this Tomahaj, uh, this oh, uh, Taj Mahal yes, garage that, that was cars. two floors up or whatever. She got into trouble and uh, out of that. And I think there's an issue that Stephen Del Duca has with his pool in his backyard where he's actually gotten some trouble with respect to dealing with the Toronto Conservation Authority and the, and yeah, the boundaries it, around that. The, the and whether or not he's, Moraine, I think. And whether or not he's used his influence to be able to change that. That's going to be an issue, too. Uh, Charles, so pool again, gate, d- does, gate. How, <laughs> how does he shake off the, the he was he was part of the Kathleen Wynne government. Uh, so how does he shake that off? And uh, it does Poolgate is pool from Plategate to Poolgate. I love it. Gate, God. <laughs> we've, Poolgate. we've hit rock bottom of the pool. Um, the first off, um, the antidote to any sort of baggage coming out of his time in the Wynne government is Doug Ford. I mean, people will are already beginning to think, you know, she wasn't so bad, um, which two years ago would have been incomprehensible. But in terms of the convention itself, I mean, it's an interesting point. Obviously, there's a lot going on south of the border. There's a lot going on with novel coronavirus. Uh, it's a pretty tough, busy news cycle. But one of the things about the convention this weekend is it will put a real spotlight on Stephen. He is the presumed uh, front runner, eventual winner. Um, but... John and I and possibly Karen will know from experience that conventions usually consist of um, all the candidates for the leadership speaking to the convention and it's high drama and those words are parsed over so carefully to make sure that they appeal to the right number of delegates in the right part of the province or the country. And then the victory speech is usually like an exhausted candidate who can't believe that he or she has been successful and it's like, well, thank you everyone, this is going to be great. Stephen actually has a terrific opportunity here to do a one-two punch in terms of both his speech to the convention and in terms of his acceptance speech if he is in fact elected leader and I think his campaign is very prepared for that and they recognize the implicit opportunity therein. Well, I, I do think the one benefit coming out of this uh, convention of one is that um, conventions can be messy. And certainly we've seen it with the conservatives where, you know, you, you, you eat each other up and then at the end of it, the whole brand, conservative brand, is damaged because of the way the candidates went after each other. That didn't And then happen. there are screw-ups with various... Uh, like voting yeah. booths and tabs yeah. and chads and all that nonsense. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think that there is a benefit to your point, Charles, if he, if he seizes the moment to really put forward the image of the Liberal Party. And um, although I would disagree with you somewhat in the fact that people uh, have softened to Kathleen Wynne, in fact, I think that will be his strategy moving forward. I think Stephen Del Duca will say, I am not Kathleen Wynne, and throw her completely under the bus, rightly their, or wrongly, their whole, and their separate whole Friday, her. Their whole t- first day is a tribute to Kathleen Wynne. And I, 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 I don't think that that's actually the, the most um, strategic way to go. I mean, in spite, I like the woman personally. I think she did the job that she did, and I think she did a good job. She but did the job that she did, for sure. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I, I, don't think that, I, I don't think that that is beneficial to the Liberals moving forward to resurrect the image of Kathleen Wynne as, as the heyday of the Liberal rule. 
Uh, Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I could add more to that, but I, I do agree. I think that uh, they should focus on on the leader. And, and Charles is right, obviously. And, and I've, I've gone to a number of conventions where they've been really, really messy. But, but I think that the liberals, um, unlike the conservatives, where we have a one-member, one-vote system, and it's preferential balloting, and it can be very boring uh, in a sense that, you know, the parties have done, both provincially and federally, have done the best they can to make them exciting uh, and try to bring the climax, you know, to, uh, to a... To a um, a point of, 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 oh my God, who's going to be the leader kind of thing. They have a delegated system. And I was at, I was a, I was a conservative pundit on the radio when Kathleen Wynne won the leadership back in the day. And I think it was at Maple Leaf Gardens, if I'm not mistaken. It was and, uh, the Madame Athletic Center. It was the famous Sandra Popatello and Charles uh, Souza connection that, that sort of, you know, where Charles went to Kathleen and all that. That Derek was exciting. Hoskins. I was, yeah. I was actually, you know, on the edge of my seat f- as a conservative watching it. Um, but nonetheless, I think, you know, what will happen is that they're going to pick a leader and then that uh, Stephen will be uh, will be scrutinized by the opposition and by the media. Uh, and the one thing we haven't talked about, quite frankly, Libby and Karen mentioned it, is that's Andrew Horvath, who continually, continually keeps being out of the media and out of the spotlight, no matter what the issue is. Uh, I think Merritt Stiles, who I happen to know and I like quite a bit, who's the M- NDP MPP for I think Davenport, yep. gets more press and more coverage than anybody on that in that. How party. is Andrea still there? I, to, I don't even know. Like with this teacher's business, like you'd think she'd be all wrapped. Well, she, like, wrapped she's, this she's all showed up her. on a bunch of picket lines, and yeah, but you don't hear you don't hear from her at all. There's no there's no opposition coming out of Queens well. Park. There, I mean, you hear from her in question period for sure. But yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but you know that question period. There's 20 minutes of you know, and the famous line is once you leave question period, no, you've got to be out there and yeah. you've got to be leading something. And uh, I just don't know. But anyways, it's an interesting uh, dilemma. As the official opposition, quite frankly, as the leader of the official opposition, you'd think that she would get uh, some level of coverage, and I'm sure the media offer it to her. I just, yeah. I just, I just, I just yeah, she's no, absent. And and frankly, even I, I mean, I don't like to go inside baseball, but uh, we find her lately uh, a lot less. Available than she used to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's take a call from Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Hi, Lenny. Uh, I just came back to the doctor's. So I just said, I got in. I said, oh, wow. Okay, how about Stephen Del Duca? Did he not um, decide to change Metrolinx's priority and have a go train stop installed in his riding close to his home at Kirby? Well, his riding's Vaughn. I mean, what is, what's he going to do? Say that Vaughn isn't going to get a go stop? That's nuts. Well, I mean, no, what but can I think, I tell you? but I think Ron has a point here. There was some controversy around this with respect to how the uh, as minister, uh, how as minister, how he was dealing with uh, with that issue, and and um, and whether or not there was inappropriate calls being made or influences being done. And again, all alleged, but there was some issues and some controversy around that back in the day. Yeah, it amounted to a hill of beans. I mean, Ron. I mean, if 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 the MPP for Guelph said, well, we couldn't possibly have a have a transit stop here because I'm the MPP and it would look bad. I mean, how silly is that? Hello, hello, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Just saying. Ron, did you did you hear that response? No, not very well. Oh, okay. Uh, well, well, we responded to it, Ron. Thanks for your call. Uh, yeah, so that's another thing, and well, that on top of Poolgate. Well, that's all going to come out. So I think the right. point is is the point is this: I think once Saturday he becomes the leader and it's official, uh, I think the next day there'll be the next day there'll be some congratulatory remarks from Premier Ford and from Andrew Horvath congratulating him as they often would, and then the very next day it's going to be okay. Let me tell you why this person is going to be a bad premier or could be potentially right. a bad premier. And it will be interesting to see um, because presumably he's got a team doing all that. Uh, what candidate researcher? 
or whatever. Opposition so that, research. Opposition right. research, so yeah. he knows how to respond to all of these things that will eventually come, emerge. But I think it will be interesting to see what his take is on the teacher strike and how he would do behave differently than the existing current government around resolving those issues. Okay, and speaking of the teacher strike, uh, at that famous news conference, uh, Doug Ford said the teachers' unions have been holding the province hostage. Is is that verbiage excessive? I think it's it's probably uh, I think there's truth to it. I think the fact that the government has continually asked the the unions to come back to the table, they've refused to go back to the table. I think the issue uh, is becoming much much more clear to to not only the government but others, but certainly the public that it's becoming an issue of compensation and of money. And I think that's where and I find that that it is turning. I think parents are starting to look at this and starting to think to the unions, why are we keep why are we not getting this resolved? Uh, the government's gone back, and they've you know, they've gone back on their e-learning. They've gone, they've they've reduced the class sizes again, or they've increased the class, in, decreased the class sizes. Um, but the one thing that the unions will not budge on is the one percent. Uh, that's interesting because uh, there was some research that apparently the conservatives refused to release, asking parents what they thought about numbers for class size. They didn't release it. The NDP released it. Merritt Stiles. Uh, and uh, it shows that parents do not want any kind of increased class sizes. And, and uh, Ford has also said, we're not going to back down, which to me means how long is this thing going on? We have another day of strikes on Tuesday, on Thursday, excuse me, Thursday, people, Thursday. Thursday. It's totally perplexing to me. I mean, it's clear what the issues are on the table. The government has a number of options in terms of binding arbitration, in terms of um, trying to do something around the 1%. Um, and yet they choose not to. And I have to assume that there's something they're seeing that suggests, whether it's because of their base or whether it's because of internal polling numbers that suggest they're on better ground than they appear to be, that they can afford to drag this out. But one of the immutable laws of Ontario politics is that the longer teacher strikes go on, the more governments wear them. I mean, it's just, it doesn't matter which party is in power. It is just the way it is. And so I just don't get where the government's coming from. And I think, you know, Lecce has just taken a, a savage beating on this thing. Mm-hmm. And it, well, the, there's no question that the unions are launching a coordinated effort, unlike anything we've ever seen in the province, and that there are, there are uh, across the province, like the the unions um, are extremely coordinated, and I think that for the government to say, you know, that we're being taken hostage, I think it's reflective of the fact that this is a new dynamic, and the government has not had to negotiate with an entire across the province at one time. Usually, it's with individual yeah. school boards. Uh, I'm going to give the numbers out again. We do have a few minutes left, uh, people. If you want to get your say, and we've been talking about Doug Ford's outburst, I'd say. We've been talking about the Liberal Convention coming up on Saturday. Uh, we're talking about the teachers' strikes, and we're going to get to another topic. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And I know everybody wants to talk about Super Tuesday. Hmm. So, Charles, you can start on that one. Oh, boy, do I ever. Um, you know, it, it's... 
one of the things about today, it's so huge, right? They're going to elect basically a third of the delegates across 20 different states and jurisdictions today. Uh, California alone will elect 415 delegates. Texas will elect 228. Those are big numbers. Um, And Joe Biden obviously had one of the most remarkable comebacks we've seen in recent U.S. politics by winning South Carolina so decisively by nearly 30 points um, on the weekend. And he raised more on Saturday and Sunday, $10 million than he did through the entire month of January. So that points to momentum, but he's got two things going against him. Um, the first is that he's not able to apply any of that money to television or radio advertising in the key super Tuesday States because he's just, they're just too late to do it. And secondly, a huge number of people, uh, Notably in California and Texas, which is, you know, nearly 650 delegates combined, have already voted. And they voted before South Carolina, and they may have voted on the basis that they thought Biden was dead. So the thing to watch right now is there's a magical 15% threshold, which is per state, you must get 15, a minimum of 15% of the total votes cast in order to qualify for delegates. Whether... Um, Elizabeth Warren and whether Michael Bloomberg are able to do that remains to be seen. Strangely enough, the more vote they take, the more delegates they win, the better it is for Biden because it points to a hung convention. Uh, This would point to, you know, the moderate side uh, ganging up on Bernie Sanders. Uh, Is that a done deal, John, do you think? Well, it's certainly looking that way. I think, you know, obviously what happened with Hillary and Bernie back um, um, four four years ago, I think, is reflective of the fact that people just wanted Hillary over Sanders. And and he was and his people uh, actually protested and and either voted for Trump or just didn't vote at all for the Democrats. And it cost cost him, I think, the election, quite frankly. And there's concerns that that might happen again if there is what's happening, which is the moderates are now piling up and saying, okay, well, who is our one person? It seems to be Biden now, given the fact that both Buttigieg and Klobuchar uh, stepped down and and are supporting Biden and did so quite strategically and and made a huge splash yesterday on it. Uh, And I think you've got Beto O'Rourke, who's now supporting uh, supporting Biden, and a few others who are all going to go over. So it looks like that's going to happen. So the real thing, and Charles uh, sort of mentioned it, which is after today, after the state's vote Super Tuesday, where does Bloomberg fit in? He spent over $500 million in ads and focused solely, almost exclusively, on the Super Tuesday states. Um, is he, what threshold is he going to get? There's some states where he's going to do well over Biden. Um, but I do think that this is going to crystallize into a Sanders-Biden uh, two-way race uh, going into the convention. And I think it's going to be the moderates versus the progressives. And, and I would imagine if the super delegates, when they get a chance to vote on this at the convention, they'll go for Biden and it'll be an the Sanders people will be back at it again. Yeah, just quickly, I'm all in for Bernie Sanders. I, I, I think he's great. He's a disruptor. Socialist. He's an agitator. He's not even a Democrat. He's, he, he, he's actually to the Democratic Party where Donald Trump is to the Republicans. Yeah, they're, they're, that comparison has often been yes. drawn. And so I think that it would just be delightful if he won. And I mean, the Democrats will twist themselves up in knots just like the Republicans are. And I actually think it would be a good learning for the Democrats to figure out how they're going to survive all this. But I am all in. For Bernie. And okay. One of the things that costs. One of the reasons. I thought you were a conservative. One of Whatever. the reasons Donald Trump is president today is because of the brutal fight that Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders had during the Democratic 
uh, nomination campaign back in 2016. And there's a lot of, I think, you know, people like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who, were, who was chair of the Democratic National Committee, was totally, nakedly behind Clinton, and it left a lot of bad feelings. You should resign it because and, of it. And the Sanders um, people stayed home. Yeah. They did not come out and vote for Hillary Clinton on Election Day, and Donald Trump was elected by the narrowest of margins. So the question now is, if they have a great progressive versus moderate showdown and Biden wins, will the Sanders people turn out? There's reason to think they will, just because their contempt for Donald Trump is is just off the charts. And most Democrats are united by a single four principle. Years. We have to defeat this lunatic. Okay. I'm going to take a few calls because uh, we asked people to call. So we'll take the calls. Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good morning. Uh, I don't know how many of your um, uh, attendees there happened to see the CNN program on Sunday. It was Avid Sakari with regard to um, Bernie and his uh, socialist and what has actually happened in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. It's a real eye-opener. Okay. (laughs) We'll have a look at it. Well, Uh, take a look at it because it it really, this idea that the rich are somehow going to pay for all these programs, that's not the way it's working in other countries. And um, that one other comment on Bernie, he wants to get rid of even, uh, he wants to get rid of coal fire uh, hydro plants, uh, steam plants, but he also wants to get rid of all of those that use natural gas. I don't know. I mean, this is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Okay, Pat. <laughs> um, we don't have a vote on that. Let's take a call from David in Toronto before we let our panel respond because we're running out of time. David, hi. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, thanks. Good. Um, so I, I'll be as, as quick as I can on a couple of points. Um, with the teachers, I remember I had an old boss um, who was a teacher back in the 70s, and uh, after one year of teaching, he got out of, uh, got out of teaching. He just didn't like what was going on. Um, but part of the, um, the, uh, the, the strike resolution was that all teachers had to join the union. Um, so over, you know, they talk about 50 years. Well, that was done under Bill Davis. So there's not a lot of memory going on there, and that certainly has helped them to uh, build a, um, uh, you know, a good foundation for, uh, for uh, support, um, for their uh, benefits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, I am a volunteer, and I will be at the Liberal Convention on Saturday and uh, Friday and Saturday. Yeah, we'll see you there. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I was at the one with, uh, with, uh, with uh, the Maple Leaf Gardens, and, um, you know, I find it kind of exciting. Well, let's hope it's exciting uh, for their sake. Say, I'm going to be there too. I'm hoping it's exciting because uh, I like excitement. (laughs) David, thanks for your call. Okay, uh, we've got to wrap things up. Uh, Charles, start with you. Uh, wow. I mean, it's, it's, uh, what the other, the, just to finish the thought around, uh, Super Tuesday and John's point, um, 500 million spent by Michael Bloomberg. We'll see if it actually translates into vote, right? Can you actually buy an election? Um, but you know, Karen is a very, very sensible person and she really <laughs> likes Bernie Sanders, right? And there's a lot of that going on in the United States right now. There are people, there, there are duck hunters who live in rural Alabama who say, this guy clearly speaks for me, right? Yeah. And and like he has connected with Americans in a way that is very, very unique. And he is still the front runner right now in the Democratic race to be president. Yeah. 
Go ahead. Well, Karen. and I, I, I think that um, if we tease it out, again, there is, um, and, and we talked about it, how the progressives against the established Democrats. And I, and I think that there is, even within the Democratic base, um, a, a, a pushback against the, the quote-unquote establishment. And Joe Biden's the establishment. You know, he worked with Obama. He was part of all that the establishment rep- represents. He's being endorsed by the, quote, establishment. And so if there is um, an urge to uh, not revolt against the establishment, but to turn a page on that, then Bernie would be the place that you would park your vote. And so I, I think that it is um, there's there's lots of things that are happening in, in, the, in the U.S. population and dynamic right now that are important to pay t- attention to as this unfolds. Uh, just quickly, I would say that uh, if anything was seen by what happened with Joe Biden in South Carolina and the comeback kid that happened with Bill Clinton previously, I think Michael Cotto and the liberal leadership race should take heart to take note of that, <laughs> who was a de- apparently the second in uh, in delegate counts coming into Saturday that you never know what could happen. It could be a comeback for Michael Cotto, and he could be the leader of the Liberal Party on Saturday. Charles. Then we'd have something to talk okay, about next Tuesday. Then we'll have something to talk about. Are you that's, a betting man, John? That's, uh, <laughs> that's all the time we have. Thank you so much, John Capobianco, Karen Stintz, and Charles Bird. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.